Well, guys, I am excited about the water baptism that's occurring today. If you're being baptized in water or your child's being baptized in water, at this point, you can go and check in with Pastor Josh. He's in the back, and he would love to get you settled and give you the instruction. We're glad to celebrate with you guys. Um, it's been our custom the last two or three years to stand and read God's word, but we're, we're going to uh, kind of suspend that during the time I'm away because we just found guest speakers. It, it just throws them off. They have their own rhythm and everything. So we're back to 2016 until uh, I, we, we do that again in the future. So I ho hope you understand that's a uh, just kind of something we're not required in the Bible to do. It's just a tactical decision for all that's coming up. A lot of exciting changes are coming. You see that we've painted the building in the, in the near future. In a few weeks, we're going to have a new sign with our new logo. We haven't, uh, we have not, we've been using a transition logo, but we haven't really uh, unveiled the new logo. We're going to emphasize CIL uh, over the church at Indian Lake. We're still the church at Indian Lake, but uh, CIL is, is a way that we can kind of rebrand uh, it will help distinguish us from some other names that are similar to ours in the city. And it's funny how churches are these days. Churches do this whole kind of branding deal, and we're doing it too. But it's kind of funny if you think about it that we got to be real careful when that happens uh, to kind of keep our focus on what really matters. A couple of years ago, I, I came across a few posts uh, of people who were excited about their church and they were using hashtags to share this excitement. And they used this hashtag, I'll use our name, uh, they, uh, as an example, it said, hashtag CIL forever. And they were communicating, I love my church so much, I'm dedicated to it forever. And I understand that that's a common way we communicate excitement these days. We could say, hashtag you know, avocados forever. I will always eat avocados when I have Mexican food. Or it may be a music group or maybe a sports team. So I'm not coming down heavy on that. And I'm sure I've done uh, things of that nature also. But it's really interesting to me because churches, congregations don't last forever. The kingdom of God lasts forever. Now, it's my hope, it's my desire. I want this congregation to last for hundreds of years. They have existed hundreds and hundreds of years. Even, even you could say, almost, almost 2,000 years. There are examples of that. But simultaneously, there's also examples of thriving churches that no longer exist anymore. In 2011, I was able to go to Turkey, and I visited the seven cities in which John wrote to these, these uh, churches uh, in the book of Revelation sending specific messages. These were thriving churches. They were so impactful that um, the angel of the Lord through the apostle John sent specific messages too. And now in Turkey, where those seven churches reside, resided in the first century, um, there are no, very little Christians. It's almost a 100% a Muslim nation. Northern Africa is the place where much of Christian theology was birthed. Northern Africa and Carthage and other areas of learning that 
uh, is where theology was formed and some of our greatest theologians and greatest Christian representation was. And yet now, Northern Africa is predominantly Muslim and there's not, there's a very, very small Christian representation. So here's my point today. We are not CIL people. We are not people associated with a denomination. We are Jesus people. That's who who we are. We are people that are dedicated to the kingdom of God. We're dedicated to the cause of Christ. We're dedicated to Jesus. And, And while we we, we, will, we will do some of this rebranding and some of this emphasis, emphasis of CIL to let people know where we're at. Let us never, never let our devotion go anywhere besides Christ. He is the preeminent one we're devoted to. So now in this Easter season, I want to share with you probably, probably my favorite story uh, in scripture, one, one of them, you know, whenever you say it's my favorite story, you, you start thinking of 20 others. But I mean, I love this passage so much. I forgot to tell you, happy Easter, by the way. You guys know we're still in Easter right now. We're in the Easter season. And so this is one of the, the great scriptures that tell us about the resurrected Jesus. The disciples were fishing once again, going back to what they knew. And they recognized Jesus on the shore And they went to Jesus, and we're going to pick up the story here in John chapter 21, starting with verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. That's pretty cool. That's evidence that Jesus may have been a pescatarian. Do you guys know what a pescatarian is? Someone who only eats meat, excuse me, only eats fish and vegetables. I was a pescatarian at one time for like three or four days. I was a pescatarian. <laughs> Guys, I also tried being a vegetarian one time and I ordered a large vegetable pizza from Pizza Hut and ate the whole pizza by myself. It kind of defeated the purpose of being a vegetarian because <laughs> I ate all that cheese product from the animal. So Jesus, like any guy, is having a barbecue. He's having a cookout. He saw, they saw the charcoal, charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. There's a miracle right there. And here's one of the greatest lines, one of my favorite quotes of Jesus Christ. Come and have breakfast. That's a powerful quote, isn't it, from our God? Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so there's so many symbolic things happening in that scripture. You ought to study it sometime more. Dig in and study all the symbolism with the numbers and with even the way he presented the bread and how that opened their eyes and so many things to talk about. But I'm talking to us today about being Jesus people. And I want you to see some general principles from this that will help 
shape our hearts as God's people and as God's people together. Here's the first thing. I want to remind you as Jesus people, we are a family, not an organization. We are a spiritual family. That's what God has built here, and that is what he is building. And families, one of the main things they do together is they eat together. Families don't just gather to eat to satisfy a biological need. It's this idea of gathering at the beginning of the day or the end of the day or maybe at the middle of the day. And you, you need food to survive, but you're not just eating as a, as a physical need. You're eating with somebody because that's such a sign of fellowship and sharing our lives together, being together. And I love the fact that the resurrected Jesus took time to have breakfast with his friends. See, we are, are driven so much by mission that sometimes we forget that God moves through regular rhythms of life. You would think that the resurrected Jesus would be like preaching all the time and revealing himself in dramatic, obvious ways, but he chose to share this meal with his friends. It lets us know the power of family, the power of fellowship, the power of being together. That's why I think about our take two group, which is, I don't know what to call them. I always get in trouble here, but our very wise adults in the church, they're, they're wise and fun. They had a fellowship night last night and they played games and the spillover of that fellowship, you could feel the energy this morning because the kingdom of God was built through those relationships being built. And those casual times together are of the same importance of like our prayer and worship night Thursday where we really sought his presence together in kind of a spiritually focused way. And so God reminds us through this that he's moving through our social interaction. That's one of the reasons Jesus, his first miracle was revealed at a wedding. He was following the the practices of his culture. And he was transforming culture by being involved in culture. He was in the world, but he was changing the world. He, he was making great impact in the way he lived his life. So I love verse 12. Come and have breakfast. Jesus invites those who heard it the first time, and now he invites us. Come to this table. This table I'm pointing to right now is symbolic of the table of the Lord that's open to all people. All people are invited to his table, not the special, not the elite, not those who have had special religious training. The table of the Lord is open to every person. Every person is invited. Everyone, everyone has a place at the table, and Jesus is inviting us, and that's what family's about. In fact, our welcome team that Tracy leads, our theme as a welcome team, some of you know this, we are a family expecting guests. We're not this closed off family that just care only about our tribe and just only about each other. We're like always, we have like this open door saying, come on, come on. And I just, I cannot wait to see 
how God changes our, our, our church and how we become everything God wants us to be as we continue to just keep those doors wide open and just warm this place up with the love of God and just say, business is open. Come if you're hurting. Come if you're distressed. Come if you're in debt. Come if you've made mistakes. Come if you can't get it together morally. Come if you don't feel like you're qualified to be at church. Those are the type of people that we have been and those are the type of people we want at the table because those, those are the people Jesus has invited. The, the religious people, they don't think they need Jesus. They're the ones who crucified him after all. Now you understand we all, because of our sin, were part of that. But, but it was the religious people of the day who couldn't handle the message of love. They couldn't handle the message of hope. They couldn't handle that disruptive message that says people are more important than tradition. But we are Jesus people. And we are people who believe in God's heart is always inviting, inviting people in. And, and I cannot wait to see what continues to happen in our church. I, I just believe that. I've been, in, I've been in prayer for our church these last few days. And, and, and I just feel God's heart like, like we don't even have any idea what, what he is going to do as we just begin to have an open environment to just allow those people who need God to feel safe, to feel at home, to be part of the family. You know, our culture has been built on this premise that some people are in and others are out. It's that way when it comes to, to, to the systems that produce wealth. We're seeing that. That's that way. It's that way in our higher education system. We're like the elite, the special. All of our Supreme Court justices come from two schools. And like you're only, you're only an important person if you know someone who can get you into that school. And, and we have this whole system where power is held from a few. Not so in the church. We're just going to open the doors, open wide and say, come on to Jesus. Come on to Jesus. If nobody wants you, Jesus wants you. If you're not welcome anywhere else, you're welcome in the church. Is that not the part, the type of community you want to be a part of? That's Jesus people. That's not religious people. It's not denominational people. It's not church people. It's not professional Christian people. It's Jesus people. All right. Come on. Oh, that's a bad preacher move. You just kind of wait. Everyone gets uncomfortable. Someone's going to say amen if you just wait long enough. Someone's going to be there for you. We're partners, not consumers. So we changed the name of membership years ago to partners because membership communicates that I'm going to join and that gives me like voting rights. And though that might technically be true, Partner is this idea that we are all equal brothers and sisters and God's called us to this family and we're going to build the kingdom of God together. We're partners. The pastors I showed you and, and, I, and that were up on this stage, you're not here to serve them. They're here to serve you. Now, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we mutually serve each other. We're equal in front of Jesus Christ. If you're ordained into the ministry, that all that means is you've got uh, more responsibilities and, and, and more call to serve. Doesn't mean you're better. Doesn't mean you're more special. It just means that the Lord has set you apart to serve his people in a unique way. But we're all equal. We're all serving God together. So we're partners. And we have lived in this economy of consumers. You know, I, I think it's good. I, I thank God for where our, 
our nation is economically. My heart goes out to those of you who are unemployed and we're there for you and, and I, 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 I wanna pray with you and do whatever little bit I can to help you. But I remember standing on the stage in 2009 and there was just palatable fear. I mean, you could just feel it. And everyone was so scared saying the economy will never be the same again. Well, we found out Thursday that um, unemployment's at a 50-year low. And I want to tell you, that's an answer to prayer. That's an answer to God's people praying and asking for God's mercy. And so sometimes we don't realize miracles that are before us. And so I'm thankful for our economy, and I'm thankful. I don't turn up my nose at systems that I've benefited from. But when it comes to the spiritual life, we have to be discerning about how this impacts the way we develop spiritually. So as consumers, we live in this economy where you give somebody money and they give you a cup of coffee. You make a payment to uh, the pesticide place and they come check on your house once a month and make sure you don't have termites. And if you do, then they're required to service that. On and on, you can see, we, we, are, we provide funds and services are given to us. So it's really easy for that type of thinking to come into the religious life. And we, and we think, okay, I'm gonna go choose a church and I'm gonna, I'm gonna contribute, but I need to get something back. Now, I, I wanna be honest here, and, and I'm not saying it's always wrong to think in those terms. I'm saying let's watch our hearts here to make sure that's not the most predominant thought. If I'm being intellectually honest, I know that this church has benefited from many of you, maybe most of you, who have left another church at some point and felt called to this church. So good people leave good churches. But I, I, want, I want us to push back against the quickness of that and the speed of that and make sure that we are maturing out of consumerism and into partnership and say, hey, this is where God's called me to build his kingdom and to build the church and I'm gonna plant my roots and I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn to do life with people and, and see Jesus glorified. One of the issues that I've had, and this is a, somewhat of a personal confession, since I was about 13, 14 years old, I didn't realize this, but I, I wanted to be a Christian religious superstar. I, I, I used to get like, Christianity Today, Charisma Magazine when I was a teenager and thought, I could be one of those guys on the cover. <laughs> it's laughable, isn't it? This guy in the first service like belted out the loudest laugh I've ever heard. I said, you, you, it is a funny thing. And so maybe some of that's still in me, but I'm trying, I'm, with the Lord's help, I'm, I'm trying to eradicate that and submit that to the Lord and, and, and realize that that's not a healthy way to think. Uh, we're here to serve God's people. We're, we're here not to bring glory to ourselves. We're, we're here to give ourselves. And so um, there's different quotes that I will read on a regular basis that will help mold and shape me. I'm going to share a quote with you here that some of you are going to love and some of you it's going to disturb you or you're not going to like it. But that's what a great quote does. It stirs us up, doesn't it? Gordon MacDonald wrote this. Here in North America, we now live in what I call the era of the visionary church. Almost every pastor is judged on the basis of whether he or she has a vision. And this usually means a vision of how the church can grow, grow, grow. 
The pastoral care of the people, which for hundreds of years has been the aim of a church, is less important in comparison to the gathering of more people. Because more people means more programs and more buildings and more employed staff. Doubtless, this is not all bad if it results in bringing unchurched people into the kingdom of God. But one wants to watch a lot of this vision and ask how much of it is satisfying the need of a driven leader who has to see things expand at all costs. Now, this is a thought-provoking perspective. Some of you are like, I love that. I love that. Some of you are like, just small thinking, small thinking, small pastors, small-minded pastors. They ought to grow the church. So there's all kinds of reactions here. I just want to tell you personally, this helps my heart because I want, I want to be a star. I mean, I'm embarrassed to tell you that. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. But what is it? But when we do that, we take shortcuts. When, when, when we take shortcuts to the work of God, maybe it's not the work of God anymore. Maybe it's the work of man. One of the things, thank you that you're allowing me to take this sabbatical. I'm going to attend some churches where no one knows me. I won't be Pastor Aaron. I'll be Aaron, the son of God. No, that was not, that was not good. Aaron, the child of God. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> well. Kind of refutes my whole point the last five minutes, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I'll be Aaron, the, the very humble child of God. <laughs> and so so what, a, what a great gift. What a great, what a great gift you guys have given us to get perspective on our spiritual life. And I can just tell you already, I'm more excited about what God can do through this church on the front end of going into the sabbatical. Like, I don't need to, you know, hope in nine weeks, I hope I can make it back. Man, I, I, I am, God is giving, giving just a great concept of what his people can be. It's just stirring in new ways already. And so thanks for that. And so one of the things that I need to know and learn is that this church doesn't have to have me. You guys are gonna be fine. You know, as a founding pastor, you just feel so important. They, they need me. Part of it is I need to be needed, right? This is, and so this is what part of the good, the good spiritual fruit of a sabbatical, you realize that, that the kingdom is going to go on. The word of God is going to be preached. The sacraments will be given. People, ministry will happen without me. I don't know if that's a big issue in my life necessarily, but it's big enough that I'm confessing it to you right now. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. This is, this is, this is about us being more of a family. This is about us being partners, about us being, doing the kingdom work. Here's my next observation. I'm, I'm running low on time. Citizens of heaven, not loyalists to a culture. That's what we are. We are citizens of heaven, not loyalists to a culture. Be careful when you're too loyal to your country. Be careful when nationalism is more important than the kingdom of God. Be careful when a church brand is more important to you than the kingdom of God. 
Be careful not to dedicate your heart to a certain pastor. Maybe one you see on TV. It is funny how people get so emotionally attached to TV preachers. TV preachers have blessed me, but it's, it's so funny how some people will be, will be more loyal to a TV preacher than like the men and women that serve you all the time. And I'm just saying, beware of that. That's the subtlety of stardom. Beware if you're too devoted to a university and you, you, live your, you, you give your loyalty to that university. Beware if you're too dedicated to a political party. Beware if you're too uh, committed to a family name, and that's more important than the name of God. Tribalism is so powerful. That's why we have to watch, we have to watch its impact in our life. 25 years ago, right at this time, 25 years ago, one of the worst things that have ever happened on this planet occurred in Rwanda. A tribe known as the Hutu systematically murdered the Tutsi tribe. In just a few weeks, they believe 500,000 to a million people were exterminated. I was in college at the time. I didn't have the capacity to follow the news, much less understand the gravity of it. But this story has since impacted my life because it's not some kind of distant history. I was breathing the same air those people were breathing. When Christian people, this is, Rwanda is a Christian nation, and, and these people, because of their tribalism, began to commit some of the deepest evil imaginable. So I'm telling you, beware of things you love more than Christ. Beware of it, because it, it'll cause you to compromise the scripture and, and, and to not follow it as closely as you should. Revelation chapter five, verse nine says this. This is one of the most hopeful scriptures in the Bible, and it talks about our future. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood. Look, look at this. From every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands, plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Guys, when we get to heaven, we're not gonna brag about the church's name. We're not going to brag about the denomination. We're not going to brag about our tribe or our family because we're going to see the one who is incomparable, who deserves all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the riches, and he is incomparable. There's no one like our God. I love the scripture because it says it's not just a few, but many. I heard verse 13, every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea and everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. This is our future. People from every nation, every ethnic group, every tribe equal before God. And what makes us equal is he is worthy and we're not. He deserves glory. He deserves praise. And we'll give everything, every false bit of worship that we've been giving to all of these other entities will now flow to the throne of God where he deserves the glory and honor and praise. I'm gonna give my last point, and as I do, I'm gonna just, if the kids are ready, they can start getting in position. I know they're, they're cute and you'll enjoy seeing them, but I, I wanna finish this sermon if I can, so keep recording it. So here's my last point, and the kids can come on down. Lovers of God, not humanists. Lovers of God, not humanists. We're called to love God. Now, humanism, I like to, to remind you 
often about what it is because humanism is such a powerful force. The beginning of our nation, much of it came through humanistic thought, and that's not always bad. The idea of individual liberty, the idea of self-empowerment, these are all things that we have benefited to from one point or the other. But humanism, if not checked, if not given to God, can, can lead us to self-worship instead of God-worship. When we're always looking to man for the answer, man for the, for the solution. When we're not people of prayer anymore, we're just people who are depending upon our own wisdom and our own abilities. We know that all wisdom comes from above. So as God is using scientists and philosophers and thinkers, all of that wisdom comes from above. Even when mankind doesn't acknowledge God, he still pours out his wisdom to bless the people. But here is a kind of a technical definition of humanism. It's the, 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 excuse me, the denial of any power or moral, moral value superior to that of humanity. The rejection of religion in favor of a belief in the advancement of humanity by its own efforts. A philosophical position that stresses the autonomy of human reason in contradiction to the authority of God. And guys, we are swimming in humanism. I mean, it's, again, we have benefited from it in some ways, but in other ways, we don't even recognize that everything is man-centered. And much of our religious teaching, and probably a lot of my teaching in the past, so I'm not going to point fingers at others. I'll just point to mine. Some of, some of the sermons that have cranked people up the most are just humanistic. They're, they're just motivating human beings and not really bringing glory to God. We have to watch that because our minds are so programmed to be self-centered and human-centered and, and, and look to ourselves as the answer. And we know this, that we are not humanists. We are lovers of God. And we give our love to God over and over and over and over again. And we turn our hearts to him over and over again. And that's what weekly worship is part of doing is turning our hearts to God. So how do you love God? Here's a question. How do you love God? How many know we could spend a 20-week series on that, how to love God? That, that's our whole faith. But let's go back to today's passage. In verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. So here it is, guys. We're lovers of God. And how do we love God? We love the people that God loves. We take care of one another. We shepherd each other's soul. We look out for one another. We, we care about the, the outcome of our fellow man. Believers and non-believers, they're all God's children. And so we give ourselves to him. So we thank you, Lord, for this word today. We thank you, God, that we are Jesus' people. And Lord, as we prepare to go to water baptism, we thank you, Lord, that we're going to see those who identify with Jesus, they identify with Christ, and Lord, that they'll never, ever be the same, God, because of their walk with Jesus and how they're living for him. And so we love you. We thank you. We praise you for that.